continuing this series on gifts in the church and um, in this particular series we're looking at the ministry gifts for we've identified three categories of gifts uh, given to the body of Christ and that is the functional gifts which every member of the body of Christ uh, receives from the Lord so that they can function in the body of Christ and then we saw the second category of gifts are the spiritual gifts which are the nine spiritual gifts listed for us in the book of Corinthians and then uh, the category of gifts which we are dealing with in this series uh, are the ministry gifts. And there are five main ministry gifts as listed for us in Ephesians chapter 4, which is um, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And there are um, other ministry gifts also listed for us in the book of Corinthians chapter 12, but those are not the main um, ministry gifts. Nevertheless, they are ministry gifts and those individuals are called by the Lord to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, on a full-time basis. And so in the previous teaching, we had a look at the ministry gift of the evangelist. And specifically, we looked at the ministry gift of the evangelist as it exists in the body of Christ today. And we looked at um, the only evangelist listed for us in Scripture, which is uh, Philip the evangelist. And we had a look at his ministry to basically determined from uh, the example given to us in scripture of his ministry as to what the evangelist is actually called to do in the church today. And we saw that the evangelist's ministry is uh, geared for the unsaved. Uh, the evangelist is not uh, geared to minister within churches, although they do from time to time do minister inside the churches themselves. Um, and it's uh, it's quite challenging to, to listen to an evangelist preach in a church because you really feel convicted that uh, you, you're not doing half as much as you ought to be doing in order to bring the unsaved into the kingdom of God. And that is because the anointing rests upon the evangelist to do exactly that. They're anointed by God to bring the unsaved into the kingdom. And so they go out among the unsaved, they preach the gospel, we said that there is only one message that burns on their heart, and that is the message of salvation through Christ Jesus. Um, and that's all they know. And you can take them to any part in the Bible, and you can give them a scripture in the Bible. They'll find some way of preaching salvation in Christ from that particular passage in scripture, because that's the message that burns in their heart. And then we also said that they are preachers of the gospel. They're not teachers. They do not have an anointing to teach the uh, ministry gift is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and they preach the gospel. And then the spiritual gifts that we saw when we looked at um, Philip's ministry that uh, manifested through his ministry were the, in fact, the power gifts, which we refer to the spiritual gifts in three different categories. And one of those categories, we call them the power gifts, which is the gift of faith, which is special faith, the gift of working in miracles, and gifts of healings. And we saw those uh, three particular giftings um, operating through Philip's ministry. We also saw the gift of discerning of spirits being made manifest through his ministry as well. But we said that that is not necessary uh, for the evangelist's ministry, but at least two of the power gifts should be made manifest through the ministry gift of the evangelist in order for them to operate fully in the anointing that God has called them to. Now we said it, uh, right at the outset of this teaching, it's very possible for one to be called in, in any ministry gift and not operate in any spiritual gift. So just because one is called to be an evangelist does not necessarily mean that they will have the 
um, power of spiritual gifts operating through their ministries because they might be ignorant of the spiritual gifts as we mentioned earlier. So that's brought us up to speed. Today we want to look at two spiritual, two ministry gifts, the ministry gifts of pastors and teachers. Um, and we're going to be able to cover both in today's teaching and then we'll end up the series on the ministry gifts in today's teaching because um, there's, uh, there's not a lot that we can really learn from these ministry gifts. Obviously, um, we can go into the, each one of these gifts in a lot more detail. But uh, we're basically just highlighting the, the main aspects of all the ministry gifts um, of those five listed in Ephesians chapter 4 in this series of teachings. We're not going into the ministry gifts in, in complete detail. And so with regards, we start off with the pastor's uh, ministry gift. It's interesting in Scripture, there's only one place in the Scripture where the term pastor is used, and that is in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. The scripture says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. That word pastor is the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament, is in that passage of scripture. Nevertheless, um, there are synonymous terms that are, are mentioned in the New Testament which are linked to the ministry gift of the pastor. And those terms are elder, um, overseer, shepherd, and so there are, there's, there's more than one term given to this ministry gift called a pastor. And so a pastor can also be called a shepherd, he can also be called an elder, and he can also be called an overseer. And there are other terms that are given to this particular ministry gift as well. Um, as we saw with regards to the ministry gift of the evangelist, in that there are two categories of the evangelist's ministry gift in the church today, so there are two categories of the pastor's ministry gift in the church today. And obviously, as we've seen in all of the other uh, ministry gifts that we've studied thus far, our Lord Jesus Christ stands in a category all of his own. He is the preeminent uh, pastor in the church. Um, Book of uh, Philippians talks about the fact that our Lord Jesus receives preeminence in the church. He is the firstborn from the dead. Um, and so in all things, Christ Jesus has preeminence, and that includes the ministry gifts that he has given to his church. And so our Lord Jesus stands in a, a category of being a pastor, all, all of his own. Uh, he has that full anointing of being a pastor upon his life, and uh, he's the ultimate pastor. But the scripture doesn't refer to him as a pastor, but the scripture does refer to him as a shepherd. And we said that um, one of the titles given to the uh, ministry gift of pastor is that of shepherd. And in John chapter 10, verse 11, our Lord speaking, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so that is primarily the role of the pastor. The pastor's role is to shepherd the sheep of the Lord Jesus. And uh, he's called by God, he's anointed by God to do exactly that. And Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd of, uh, of his church. We, all of us, are sheep in the, his flock. And he oversees us as the chief shepherd. But what our Lord then does is he appoints under shepherds under him, and they are then called to walk uh, in that same anointing, not the same degree of anointing, but the same kind of anointing um, as um, our Lord walks in as a shepherd. 
and they are called to shepherd the flock of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we get to the second class of prophet, the second category, and prophet, a pastor, and that is the, the pastors that exist in the church today. And as I say, they can be also called shepherds, they can be called overseers. Uh, there are a number of titles, elders, that are given to them as well. Uh, a scripture we can look at, um, which gives the, the pastor the title of elder, um, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, this is the Apostle Paul writing, he said, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And so there are two primary roles that the pastor fulfills, or the, the shepherd or the elder. I'm going to stay with the term pastor because it all is interchangeable anyway. Uh, but there are two primary roles that the pastor fulfills in the church today. And that is that they are to feed the sheep and care for the sheep. Now the way they feed the sheep is through the word of God. They are meant, their primary role here is to feed the sheep of our Lord Jesus Christ with the word of God. Um, and that is why Paul in writing to Timothy says, uh, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Because it's so important for the sheep to be fed. Um, you recall when our Lord Jesus was speaking to uh, Peter, uh, when they were having breakfast, Peter had denied the Lord three times. And uh, our Lord was reinforcing uh, his relationship with Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And, the Lord, and Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. Um, but on each one of those occasions, our Lord said, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, care for my sheep. And so that is the heart of Jesus towards his church, is that he, he, he views them as sheep. Now, in the natural, sheep are not overly intelligent. They do need a shepherd because they can get into trouble. Now, that's not knocking the intelligence of the, of the, uh, the saints in the body of Christ, not at all. It's just the case of um, we do need to be shepherded, and our Lord recognizes that. And so he has placed shepherds over us to do just that. A shepherd's job is to lead us and to guide us to um, still waters because sheep do not uh, drink out of a flowing river. They drink from still waters. Um, sheep will never lie down unless they feel completely safe. And our Lord is, uh, leads us into uh, pastures where we can lie down. And that's what the shepherd's role is. And obviously the shepherd's role is to lead the sheep into green pastures so that they can partake of uh, nourishment that they need to partake of. And so the shepherd's job in the, in the church today is to care for the sheep and to feed the Lord's sheep. Um, but there's two points we see here. He talks about let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And so there's another indication of what the shepherd's function is for the sheep, and that is to rule the sheep. They are meant to be overseers, and they are meant to um, guide the sheep and give them counsel and show them uh, the way that we should be walking this Christian walk. Um, another scripture we can look at is in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 42. Scripture says, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing 
when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. And so, the, as I said, the, look, it's for all the ministry gifts, and I've, I kind of emphasized it over the series thus far, is that all the ministry gifts, their primary role and function is to preach and teach the Word of God. Um, that's their primary role. And the shepherd, the pastor, is no different. His primary role is to feed the sheep of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's very important that pastors do not get distracted by the affairs because um, of the ministry gifts, besides the ministry gift of the apostle, um, this is the one ministry gift that can get distracted more than others. Why is that? Because of the fact that he, the, the pastor, is responsible for caring for the sheep. And some sheep can take up a lot of time for, uh, in the pastor's uh, um, ministry because some sheep are pretty needful and uh, demand a lot of time from the pastors. And so pastors need to be um, careful in this area. It's not the right word, but they need to be wise in this area in that they are not to become so distracted by caring for the sheep that they have no food for the sheep. And so it is very important for pastors to prepare and to study the Word of God so that they can indeed impart, the, um, our Lord says, that they can give them their portion of food in due season. And so it's very important to the Lord that His shepherds feed His sheep with their portion of food in due season. Now what does it mean in due season? Well it means that the shepherd knows what is the state of the flock. And so the shepherd knows when he's got a whole bunch of baby sheep in his congregation. And so he needs to be feeding them with milk, the milk of God's word, and not with the solid food of God's word. And then as they slowly progress and become more mature, he can then change their diet and he can then impart to them um, the solid food of, what, of God's word. But he needs to be um, discerning in this area so that he doesn't feed his, his lambs with solid food because they will choke and die. Um, and, you know, he needs to be feeding the more mature sheep with green pastures, um, with solid food because they cannot also grow and mature only on milk. They need uh, the solid food of God's Word. And so he does need to identify within his flock, within his congregation, all right, this group in here, that's what I need to be feeding them. This group in here, that's what I need to be feeding them. And so he should have within his church different um, programs for the various levels of growth that the sheep are at, or that the saints are at. I'm going to use the words interchangeably because we're dealing with a pastor's ministry and his job is to shepherd the sheep. And so it is very important in churches that they don't just have, you know, one feed all, one size fits all, because it doesn't fit all. You're always going to have in a congregation those who are younger than others spiritually. And so the pastor's job is to make sure that both members of his congregation are fed in uh, from the pulpit. And so he needs to understand, he needs to be very discerning in the way that he does feed his sheep, because our Lord does hold him accountable for that. Um, Another scripture we can have a look at is in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 28. The scripture says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, to the, 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 the shepherds of the church at Ephesus, by the way. He says, For I know this, that after my departure, self, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves and so we said earlier in this series of teachings when we dealt with the ministry gifts of the apostle and the ministry gift of the prophet we said that those particular ministry gifts obviously the apostle when he's not uh, planting churches and establishing churches those two ministry gifts the apostle and prophet travel around between the churches strengthening the churches and we said that the the local pastor should uh, open up his pulpit to um, those ministry gifts because it's important that his congregation are fed with the anointings that are carried by those particular ministry gifts and so a pastor that closes off, closes off his pulpit and does not allow um, other ministry gifts ministry, to minister to his flock he's doing damage to the flock he's not, a, he's not allowing them to grow and mature spiritually as they ought to grow and the Lord will hold him accountable for that but at the same time he is also to be discerning uh, as to who he allows into his pulpit to minister to his flock because there are there are strange uh, and Paul spoke about it over here he spoke about the fact that there would be savage wolves among uh, the flock and there would be men speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves and so as the the pastor of the local congregation it is his job the shepherd of the local congregation it is his job to make sure that the sheep under his care are fed with the correct nourishment and so he has a double uh, role to play here in that he must open up his pulpit to um, legitimate ministry gifts that the Lord has placed in his church and wants he, those ministry gifts to minister to his church he must not block off the, the pastor must not block off those ministry gifts from ministering to his congregation it's essential that they receive uh, those anointings but at the same time he needs to be very discerning because there are a lot of strange uh, people out there in ministry and uh, if he were to open up his pulpit to those individuals they would then do damage to his flock and so something else that we can see here is that the pastor is the one who is overseer of the local congregation it is no other ministry gift so there cannot be a case of an apostle uh, or a prophet coming to the pastor saying listen i'm a prophet i'm an apostle and so you need to open up your pulpit to me so i can minister and the pastor saying well you know these guys are more senior than me so i should open up my pulpit to them not at all um, the pastor is the most senior and we dealt with this right at the outset. We said that the Lord has not listed his ministry gifts in order of seniority. He listed them in order of importance to the church. But nevertheless, within the local congregation, it is the pastor of the local congregation that is accountable to the chief shepherd, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's not accountable to a prophet. He's not accountable to an apostle. He's accountable directly to the Lord Jesus Christ as, he's, as the chief shepherd. And so that pastor is the one who makes the judgment call as to who he allows to minister from his pulpit. Because, as I say, he gets held accountable by the Lord as to what is fed to the sheep that are in his care. So it's very important for pastors to be very discerning in this area because they can do damage to their flock on both sides they can damage the flock in that they hinder the flock from receiving from the lord because they don't do, don't open up their pulpits to the right ministries 
or they can damage their flock because they, their, their flock are exposed to um, the wrong teaching because they have opened up their pulpits to the incorrect uh, ministries. And so pastors have to be very, very, very um, discerning in this area because, as I say, it is the Lord that holds them accountable. Uh, they're not going to be able to point their fingers at any other ministry gift when they stand before the Lord in that day and say, but that ministry gift said I should open my pulpit. The Lord said, uh-uh, you're the, the pastor. I put that, those sheep in your care and I hold you accountable. You open or close your pulpit. Um, and so it's so important for the pastors of the local congregation to seek the Lord um, and uh, wisely discern as to who they can allow into their pulpits. And as I say, it's necessary that they do expose their flock to other ministry gifts because the pastor does not carry the full anointing himself. He doesn't have the ability to impart that which a prophet can impart to the church. He doesn't have the ability to impart that which an apostle can impart uh, that which he has to the church. Even the ministry gift of the evangelist, as we said from time to time, the evangelist does minister in the churches. And so, yes, a pastor should and can open up his pulpit to an evangelist, um, holding evangelistic meetings in his church. Um, we don't see that too often these days, but that is something that used to take place um, um, in years gone by to, to great effect, is that evangelists would be invited into the churches and hold revivals in churches and thus bring in the unsaved into those churches and causing those churches to grow numerically. And then the pastor would obviously cause those churches to grow spiritually. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's vital that the pastor uh, works with the other ministry gifts because he is responsible for the local uh, flock. That's his, that's his accountability. Now, let's have a look at the, at the other aspect of the pastor's ministry. And we pick it up in, in this passage of Scripture. And I want you to notice just how many times that um, the word rule is mentioned in this particular passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 13, verse, beginning at verse 7. Scripture says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Verse 17. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Verse 24. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. And so he has the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Jerusalem, and he's talking about those who are um, overseers of the church in Jerusalem. And he uses the term rule on three separate occasions in this passage of Scripture to denote what it is that the overseer, the shepherd, does in the church. They are meant to rule over the church. Now, what does a ruler do? Well, a ruler basically gives direction, and a ruler uh, lays down the, the parameters, the guidelines that um, that particular congregation will operate within. And so that is their function. But look what he does. He says, whose faith follow, in verse uh, 7, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. It is very important for the members of the congregation to be able to observe the outcome of the conduct of the, of the pastor. And so the pastor's lifestyle should be set forth as an example to the flock. 
the pastor should be able to say to his sheep, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That is what they're meant to do. And so they're actually meant to rule by example. So that when the saints look at the pastor, they say, well, you know, this guy's really, he displays the character of Christ. Uh, and look what he says here, whose faith follow. And so the pastor should be one strong in faith so that the, the members of his congregation can look to him and know that this one's got strong faith. I can go to this particular pastor and he can pray for me and stand in faith with me for whatever it is that I'm called asking the Lord for. But not only that, but the pastor can teach me how to grow in my faith so I can get to the same level that he is in. And so it's very important that pastors um, are able to lead the sheep of our Lord Jesus Christ as examples to the sheep. Uh, they need to see a tangible um, example of Christ. And that's what the pastor is, because they are the under-shepherd. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And so, as they are meant to feed the sheep of our Lord Jesus Christ, so they are also meant to lead the sheep of our Lord Jesus Christ, primarily by example. Um, for it's not a dictatorship. The, the kingdom of God is not a dictatorship. Look, there is obviously discipline that gets brought to bear when the, the saints get completely out of line. But primarily, it is a, a, a ministry uh, of love by which we operate. And so, it is as an example um, to the flock that the pastor is meant to lead the sheep. But have a look at the role that the sheep, of all the saints, are meant to um, display in this relationship of pastor and shep uh, shepherd and sheep. Um, and that is in verse 17. The scripture says, Obey those who rule over you. So now the apostle is talking to the saints. They're to obey those who rule over them, talking about the pastors of the local congregation. And be submissive. Why, Paul? For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. And so the pastors of the local congregation will have to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ for every single soul that was in their congregation. And pastors need to take this uh, to, to heart because... Our Lord Jesus Christ is very protective of his sheep, of his lambs. And so pastors need to seek the, the, the heart of the Lord in this area because um, they will have to stand to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ for every single member of their congregation. Um, it's, the Lord is not going to excuse any pastor um, from not looking after any one of his sheep because the scripture very plainly says, as those who must give account. And so whereas the saints are meant to be submissive to the, the local pastor, because the scripture says again, he says, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So here he's talking to the saints again. He says, let the, the local pastor um, Rule over you, when we talk about the term rule, it's not dictatorship, you understand? Um, it's we, we serve one another, we submit to one another. And so the local pastor is meant to serve the sheep and serve, serve the, the, the lambs of God. But nevertheless, there is that degree of authority that's given to him as well. But our Lord says, 
that the saints are not to make the pastor's life a misery um, in that they, you know, they complain and they, they grumble and they really make it. You get some congregations that you know, can really run the, the pastor's life, make his life miserable because they gossip about one another, about him. Um, there's just a lot of weird stuff that goes on in some churches. And our Lord says, that is unprofitable for the saints. Now, that's unprofitable for saints in this life because our Lord does step in eventually and start judging. But also on the day of judgment, our Lord will also, as the Lord will hold the shepherd accountable for how he has um, shepherded the sheep in his care, so the Lord will hold the sheep accountable for the way that they submitted to his um, shepherd that he appointed over them. And it will not go well with the saint who has been... Um, what's the word I'm looking for, has been rebellious to, towards the Lord's local um, shepherd um, because it's as if they were being rebellious to the Lord. That's why the scripture says, obey those, verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for yourselves. Now, obviously, a, a shepherd or a pastor who is going to be abusive in their, their role as pastor, well, then that, a lot of prayer needs to go up for that pastor. And obviously, if you do pray, God's able to sort things out and he's able to get things sorted out. I'm not going to get into any depth along that line. But we do, and the saints need to be supportive of their local pastor, certainly be lifting up their local pastor in prayer because they need prayer because... Um, that's what Paul said when he, let's go back to that passage in the book of Acts um, Paul speaking to the, the shepherds of the church in Ephesus and this is, this is uh, the same thing that he said to that particular church applies in all the churches today let's read it again, he says therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now, what is interesting here is that Paul says, after my departure, savage wolves are going to come in. And so Paul could basically say that because he um, stood in the full authority as, as, as an apostle, and he did not allow savage wolves into his churches. He sorted them out very quickly. Um, and so Paul said, when I'm out of here, when, I, when, when the Lord has pulled me out of your um, sphere, I won't be able to minister to you anymore, talking about the church at Ephesus, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Uh, and so Paul made that comment because he knew the men he was speaking to. And he was saying, guys, you really need to be on your guard in this area, and not only for yourselves, but also for the flock. And so it is a case that um, the pastors of the local congregation do come under a fair amount of, of attack because that Satan knows that if he can deal with the, the shepherd, he can quite easily go after the sheep. And so it's very important for sheep to keep the local shepherd in their prayers and to Pray for that individual consistently because they do, they need a, a, a lot of support in prayer. Um, and so let's have a look at another scripture just to, again, re-emphasize the way that the pastor, in fact, does oversee the flock. So I trust that you've understood that the pastor is really, uh, his primary role is to feed the sheep and to make sure that the sheep are, are receiving the nourishment that they need. 
from the Lord. But here's another scripture talking about now the overseeing part that the pastor plays in, in the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. The Peter writing, he says, and he's writing to, again, the overseers of the local flock, or the pastors of the local churches. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. And so now this is how we, this is how the overseer operates in the church. In the world, an overseer um, dominates, but in the church, the overseer serves. And so it's very important that we understand the terminology. Uh, the, the, the pastor serves the, the sheep of God, um, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly nor for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And so it's so important for shepherds, for pastors, to recognize that the sheep are going to be looking at him. And he needs to be displaying Christ. Uh, that They need to see Christ in the local pastor. Um, and because especially the baby sheep out there, they, they, they need to see tangible evidence of Christ. And they look to their, their, their pastor to provide them with tangible evidence of Christ. And so the, the pastor's heart has got to be uh, to display the, the, the character of Christ so that the local congregation can look to him as an example. Um, and not for dishonest gain. And so it's not a case that the, the pastor's in it for the money. The pastor's in it to serve the body of Christ. Now, we, got, we looked at the early scripture that said, that uh, let's just go back up there, because there's a double edge uh, to this sword. Um, and that is that as the pastor is not to be money-minded, so the church are to look after their pastors so that they're not distracted because of a lack of, of finances. And we go back 1 Timothy 5.17. Um, the scripture says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. And when he talks about double honor there, he's talking about uh, financial blessing. If you've got to read it in context, that's exactly what he's talking about. And so it's so important that the local congregations support financially their uh, local pastors because they're not to become distracted. You get a lot of pastors that have to do a second and a third job just to support themselves because the congregation can't support them. Now, I know there are congregations out there that are actually quite poor and cannot really support a pastor full-time. But nevertheless, there are a lot of congregations out there that can well support a pastor full-time. Um, but still do not give him enough in order for him to be able to live on. And so he cannot uh, fulfill his role as, as the Lord's called him to because he's become distracted in having to go out and get a second job and a third job and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know how I got off into that. But we did. We spoke about it in that the pastor is not to do this job for dishonest gain. Um, but eagerly, and then again, not as being lords over those entrusted to the pastor, but being examples to the flock. And so this particular ministry gift, more than the others, uh, should be set forth as examples to the flock, because the flock get to see this ministry gift on a day-to-day -day basis. The prophet comes and goes, and so they, you, know, you might get to see a prophet two or three times a year, but you don't get to see the prophet on a daily basis. You don't get to see the apostle on a daily basis unless he's planting the church and he's living with you for two, three, uh, uh, six months or three years, and then he moves on. 
but the evangelist you don't get to see on a daily basis, but the pastor you do. And so it is so important that the, the, the sheep have a, an, an example that they can look up to, and that example has to display the character of Christ. This is very important for the role of the pastor in the church. The Paul, Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ Jesus our Lord. And so it can't be any clearer than that. Um, and so a pastor can't preach one thing on a Sunday morning and go and live his life out something completely differently outside of the pulpit. The, 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 his, his lifestyle must be one. And so what he preaches is what he lives. It has to be that. If it's not, it creates confusion in the body of Christ. That local congregation becomes very confused very quickly. And the anointing's not there because the, whole, the, the, the Holy Spirit not, is not um, mocked in this area. And the Lord Jesus is not hypocritical in, in this area. And so he will not allow um, his pastors to preach one thing to his congregation and then live something else and keep that sustained. The judgment will, will fall eventually and uh, that ministry will, will eventually die. But there is another aspect to a pastor shepherding the sheep. Um, so we said that the pastor needs to be feeding his sheep and he needs to be discerning in the way that... So it's not only the pastor who does the feeding all the time. The pastor needs to be discerning to, as I say, allow his sheep to, be, to eat a varied diet from different ministry gifts. Um, and those ministry gifts can also be within the local congregation because the Lord does raise up ministry gifts within the local congregation as well. It's not always from outside that uh, different ministry gifts come into the congregation. So that's one of his primary roles. And he should have different programs for different levels of um, maturity in, in, his in his congregation. Because it's not always the case that he can feed his sheep only with the food that gets fed on a Sunday morning. Because the, the food that gets fed on a Sunday morning has got to be um, pretty diverse because it's got to cater for all. But there, are, there, there, uh, there is a diet of just milk that is needed in the nursery. And there is a diet of solid food that is needed in uh, the mature part of the church. And so there should be different programs in the church that accommodate the, the local flock. Um, and then we said that the pastor must serve as an example to the body of Christ. They must see Christ in the pastor. It's very important that uh, that aspect be displayed. But there is another aspect, and that is in John chapter 10, verse 27. Our Lord speaking, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so our Lord Jesus says, he knows his sheep. And we know that our Lord knows each one of us intimately, far better than we know ourselves. The pastor of the local church has the same anointing as a pastor that our Lord Jesus has upon his life. A different degree, obviously, but nevertheless the same anointing. And so it is very important for the local pastor to know each one of his sheep. And the only way he gets to do that is he has to spend time with his sheep. And so if a pastor is out there doing all sorts of other things and never spending time with his congregation, and I'm talking about one-on-one -on -one time, there has to be that. Because the reason that Jesus knows us intimately is because he's our creator. But he expects us to have fellowship with him and for us to know him even as he, we are fully known by him. And so... 
He expects us to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with Him. I'm talking about the saint and the Lord Jesus now. But in the same manner, in the natural, and it, be, it obviously um, translates out into the spiritual dimension as well. The pastor of the local congregation should get to know his sheep individually. Now, some of the sheep obviously require more attention than others because you do get some in the, in the congregation who are very mature and do not need to have um, uh, a lot of interaction with the local pastor. But nevertheless, even among the church believers within the congregation, the pastor should be um, on a level with them that he knows his sheep. He knows where they're at. He knows what they're going through. Nothing should be taking him by surprise with regards to his sheep. And so, as I say, pastors, they get caught up in a whole lot of other things and neglect um, spending time, quality time, with their sheep or neglecting this part of their ministry because they need to be um, in tune with the congregation, with the, each individual member of the congregation. It's impossible for a pastor to get to know his sheep on a Sunday morning. Can't happen. If that pastor has got to set time aside during the week, every week, to getting to know his sheep on a one-to-one -on -one basis. And they, they need to be disciplined in this area. Um, because it, it is very easy for a pastor to get very distracted very quickly on all sorts of programs and the sheep just kind of come and go and you know the pastor hey, what happened to so-and-so we used to see so-and-so in the congregation we haven't seen for a couple of months and the pastor hasn't got a clue what happened to that sheep member that was there that used to sit in his congregation is not there anymore doesn't know why and when he eventually do try, does try to catch up, the guy's moved on and found a, a, another church somewhere else. Now, I'm not saying the Lord doesn't do that, move people around, and, and the Lord does. But a, a, a congregation that is comfortable with their shepherd because they know that their shepherd has their best interests at heart. They're not going to go looking around for other pastures. They're going to remain in that congregation. But again, as I say, this is one of the things that a pastor is meant to do. And so pastors do not travel from church to church. They are based in the local congregation. Shepherds don't get up and leave the flock. Shepherds stay with their flock. And that's their function. They're not meant to travel around to, from church to church. Now that's not saying once in a while they don't go around to another church and swap out pulpits with other pastors. That does happen, but very occasionally. Very occasionally. Even when the pastor does allow other ministry gifts to come into his pulpit, He's there as well because he's overseeing that flock and he's responsible for that flock. And so I, I don't want to put a percentage to it, but the vast majority of the time, well into the 90s, percentage-wise, the, the pastor of the local flock is based in the local, flock, in the local church, that congregation. And as I say, he does need to be uh, getting to know his congregation on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Now you get the bigger churches, obviously, but the, in the bigger churches, the Lord raised up raises up a plural, plural oh, I didn't get the word right, so I'm not going to try. A whole bunch of elders <laughs> in the church to help that pastor. And so they are also uh, overseers over that church. And so you do, you get a chief shepherd in that congregation, and then you get under pastors working together with him, who in turn then get to know the sheep. But then that chief shepherd should know each one of his 
our elders on an intimate basis. And so it has to be that that one-on-one -on -one, um, interaction takes place within the congregation. It should never be a case of that sheep are just out there on their own. And, you know, if they get fed, well, that's great. If they don't, well, you know, uh, I'm at least preaching every Sunday. That's not the heart of a pastor. That's not the heart of a shepherd. A shepherd goes after the one that's missing. Our Lord taught us that. And uh, he is very um, protective over his sheep. And so it's very important for the pastors to know their sheep. Now, what about spiritual gifts? Well, there is actually no um, scriptural evidence to give us, per se, and said, okay, well, you know, these gifts are for the gift of the pastor. We could tie down the apostle. The scriptures are very plain on that one. We could tie down the prophet and the and the. Uh, well, the prophet, sorry. Uh, the scripture is also very plain on that one. We can tie down the evangelist. The scripture is plain on that one. But when it comes to the, the ministry gift of the pastor, uh, it's pretty open. Uh, there's no um, scriptural accounts that we can look at and say, okay, well, this says pastors must operate in this spiritual gift. And so there is no spiritual gift that pertains to this office. But it doesn't mean that the pastor shouldn't have spiritual gifts because they should operate in spiritual gifts. Now, one of the reasons I say that is because the pastor should be teaching his church to operate in spiritual gifts. That's part of his job, is to teach them how to operate in spiritual gifts. And so he must have an understanding of spiritual gifts. It doesn't mean that all the spiritual gifts will operate through him. That's, that's not his call. That's for the apostle. But he should at least have one or two spiritual gifts operating through his ministry. And one of the spiritual gifts that I, I would uh, suggest is uh, uh, essential for the ministry gift of the pastor in, is the spiritual gift of prophecy. Now the reason I say that is because the gift of prophecy edifies the whole church. And the pastor's job basically is to edify his whole church. And so for him to operate in the, in the ministry gift of prophecy would kind of tie in with it. And you can pick that up in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Scripture says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, uh, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And so it seems just appropriate that the, the pastor will prophesy uh, from time to time in his church. But he shouldn't be the only one prophesying because he should encourage the, the gifts of the Spirit to operate in his congregation. But he needs to be able to teach them how to do that. And so he does need to be exposed to the spiritual gifts. Uh, spiritual gifts of revelation would be helpful in his ministry, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, uh, so that he can uh, supernaturally um, assist members of his congregation who are going through hardships, who need guidance. Um, he can then call on the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to be made manifest through him in these giftings so that he can minister to the body of Christ. So that would be um, giftings that would be uh, helpful to his ministry. Now, in, in the early church, all of their gifts operated in all of the churches all the time. Um, it wasn't the case that some churches had no gifts operating, some churches had a lot, it, because all of the churches were taught the spiritual gifts, and so it was commonplace 
for all the churches to operate in the spiritual gifts. And we can pick that up in Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 22. Um, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Verse 23. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. And so Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, and he was now going through the churches, visiting each church one by one um, on his way to Jerusalem. And he stopped off at a number of churches. And in verse 23, he says, Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So what does that mean? That means that every time Paul stopped off at a church and they had a meeting in that church, because Paul would obviously speak into their lives as he moved on, that during that church service, the gifts of the Spirit would be made manifest, and in that, somebody would stand up and give a word of uh, knowledge to Paul. Paul, uh, chains and tribulations are awaiting you in Jerusalem. And it happened in every single church. And Paul wasn't amazed that this happened, because this was the norm in the body of Christ at that time, that the gifts of the Spirit were made manifest through the church, because she understood them, because... The, the men who, who wrote the Bible were teaching them to the church. And so, you know, Paul, who wrote all, about all the gifts of the Spirit, was teaching the gifts of the Spirit to his churches that he started and planted. And so they all operated in those gifts. And so it's very important that the churches today operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And pastors primarily are there to teach the flock how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, so that this can take place on a Sunday morning when the congregation gets together. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. Scripture says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And so the gifts of the Spirit are meant to be operated in the local congregation on a Sunday morning. But in order for them to operate in those giftings, they need to be taught. And it, the, the pastor is the one who should be teaching those giftings to his, his, his congregation so that they can begin to operate in those giftings and thus be able to bless the body of Christ. Um, and so that's pretty much, as I say, there's no scriptural evidence to say, okay, this particular gift is essential for the pastor's uh, ministry gift because there just isn't any evidence along that line. I've just put forward the gift of prophecy because, as I say, it does edify the whole congregation, so it's a, it's a gift that would be beneficial to the body of Christ. Uh, I'd put forward the gifts of um, revelation, uh, the revelation gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and we saw evidence of those gifts operating in the churches, in all of the churches that Paul went through. Um, and so the pastor should have knowledge, if, if not have those gifts operating through his ministry, at least have understanding of those gifts, how they operate, so that he can instruct the congregation, so that those who do receive those giftings from the Lord can then operate in them, and the pastor can then encourage them along those lines. And that's pretty much as far as I want to get to with regards to the ministry gift of the pastor. Again, it's not an in-depth teaching. We're looking at um, highlight uh, aspects of the pastor's ministry. But just to recap, the pastor's called to feed the local flock. The pastor's called to be an example to the local flock. And the pastor's called to know his local flock. And also the pastor is to operate in certain of the ministry gifts and be able to teach the flo local flock how to operate in the ministry gifts. And so that brings us now to the last of the ministry gifts uh, in that listing of five, and that is the gift of teacher. 
And again, in this category, we have the two, this category ministry gift, we have the two different categories of uh, teacher within this ministry gift. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He stands as the preeminent teacher in the body of Christ. And then we get all of the other teachers. Um, and the scripture we can look at for our Lord, the scripture says in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 28, Scripture says, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And so if you study our Lord's ministry, you will see that he spent most of his time teaching. That was what he spent most of his time doing. And so our Lord is the preeminent teacher in the body of Christ. And he stands in the category all by himself. He is the full anointing. He carries the full anointing of teacher on his ministry. And then you get all the other teachers in the body of Christ, which are the same as they were in the early church as they are in the church today. Um, and they carry different anointings as, as teachers. Now what a teacher does is they expound on the truth in the, in, in the gospel. They teach and they only have an anointing to teach. A teacher cannot preach. They don't have that anointing upon them. They are very logical in the way they bring the, the, the Bible across. Uh, they follow their, their teachings in a very simplistic, almost like, and quite often in a point form. Now we're going to do point one, two, three, four, and five. And they take the, the congregation through those particular points. And so you can follow their, their train of thought because it's very logical. Um, and it, they're able to present the, the, the mysteries of the gospel in a very simplistic manner and a very logical manner. And they, pro, um, they explain things. Uh, they don't proclaim. They're not like evangelists that are very, very animated in the way that they put out the, 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 uh, the gospel. A teacher is very calm, collected, and you know, he goes, follows his points, one, two, three, four. And he brings it across in a very structured manner. Um, and so it, it's quite easy to sit under the, uh, the uh, ministry of a teacher and to listen to them because you can follow what they're saying. It's not difficult to follow after them. Other ministry gifts, like the, the prophet for argument's sake, uh, can jump around because uh, you know, it's a different anointing upon that particular ministry gift. And so you know, they, as, they're very sensitive to the Spirit of God. And so they'll go off at a tangent. They'll be teaching along one line and then they'll go teach along. The, the Holy Spirit will move them in another direction. Then they come back. A teacher doesn't do that. He just stays in his path and he just goes step, step one, step two, step three, step four. Um, that's how a teacher operates uh, in ministering the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, teachers, um, let's get back to the pastor's ministry gift quickly. The pastor um, can either be a preacher or a teacher. Uh, he, he, he can be either or. He won't be both. Like we said, the apostle can be a teacher and a preacher, depending on the, how the Holy Spirit wants to him to minister at that particular time. Uh, prophets can also be, prophets are mainly preachers, but they can also be teachers as well. So a prophet can also be used interchangeably between the two, preaching and teaching by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit gives him unction. Uh, evangelists can only preach. A pastor can only preach or teach, but he can do either or, but he can't do both. So you will get pastors that are teachers of the Word of God, because don't forget, the pastor is meant to uh, proclaim the Word of God primarily. That's their main function, to teach and preach the, body, uh, the mysteries of the Gospel of God. Or a pastor could be a preacher. 
But he, a pastor who's a preacher will never teach, and a pastor who's a teacher will never preach because they don't have, they can't move interchangeably between those anointings. They have one or the other. Um, and so I trust you understand, a pastor can be a teacher and can be a preacher of the Word of God. A teacher, obviously, can only teach, has no anointing to preach, and so will never proclaim, and will always logically just teach the Word of God. Now, teachers are based in local churches. By and large, the main, um, it, it, let's go back to right at the outset uh, of this uh, teaching today, um, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's just quickly read that passage of scripture because it's interesting how the, the Holy Spirit puts it across. Um, Ephesians 4.11, he says, And he himself, talking about our Lord Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And so he doesn't say, and some pastors and some teachers. He says, and some pastors and teachers. Um, because it's very possible that pastors are also teachers of the Word of God. And um, you can have, as I say, interchangeable. You can be a teacher and be a pastor at the same time. But there are also those who are called purely to teach the Word of God. They're not called as pastors. They're called only to teach the Word of God. That's their, that's their role that they, they play. Now, they will completely be uh, given over to the Word of God. They don't um, get, they don't have the added role that a pastor has. They don't have to care for the sheep. They don't have to um, do a, a shepherd's job. Their job is purely to teach the Word of God. And so this is a scripture that's just to show us that teachers are based within local congregations. Acts 13, 1, the scripture says, Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetra, and Saul. And so we see that in that particular grouping, there were five, ministry gifts, five ministers listed there. And amongst those five ministers, some of them were prophets and some of them were teachers, and some were a combination of both. Um, but nevertheless, they were all based in this one church, Antioch, and they were not pastors. And so uh, uh, what is called as a teacher um, is not called to pastor the local flock. He doesn't have that anointing upon him. He's called to teach the Word of God. That's the anointing that rests upon him, and that's what he will do. And he gives himself to the study of the Word of God a lot more than other ministry gifts, uh, um, except maybe the, the prophet and the, and the apostle. But uh, he really concentrates on the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the scripture says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And so the, the teacher of the Word of God will give himself over primarily to studying the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. Now, most teachers are based in the local congregation and they are then used of the Lord in those areas. Remember I said to you that churches should have different programs in their churches and teachers kind of slot into those categories in that one teacher will be raised up to look after the mature uh, uh, sheep on a program that the church has. Another teacher will be used of the Lord in that congregation to teach the baby uh, sheep in um, the things of the Lord. And so that's the, the help that is given to then the pastor who oversees that local, local flock. But you also get teachers who are uh, used to move around between churches. That does happen. 
it's not very often, but, um, but those teachers are then anointed by the Lord to go around to different congregations and in fact expound on the Word of God. And they have a, a stronger anointing upon their ministries to be able to teach the Word of God. Um, and the Apostle Apollos fell into that category, for he was also a teacher of the Word of God. And so he had a very uh, profound understanding of the Word of God. And he was able to um, teach the Word of God with a, a high level of accuracy. And it was a, really a blessing to the body of Christ. And we can pick that up in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, uh, through to verse 28. The scripture says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26, So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They got him born again and full with the Holy Spirit, by the way. Verse 27, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And so Apollos was very, uh, very um, anointed of the Lord in this area. He obviously prepared himself even before he was saved, because that anointing was on his life. We discussed that right at the outset of this series of teaching. Um, that he was called to the ministry and so he knew that on the inside of him and he became a trained rabbi. But once he came into the kingdom of God, he was able to expound the word of God in a very accurate way um, and, and really blessed the body of Christ. He helped them exceptionally. Now, Apollos was a teacher of the word of God. And so you do get teachers that are raised up and go around to the different churches and teach the body of Christ. There's not a lot of them in the church. Um, you get far more teachers in the local congregation who are not really called to then go out to other congregations, but they are called to assist the pastor in teaching uh, the church, the local congregation that is. But the Lord does from time to time raise up teachers in his uh, church and then send those teachers out into the body of Christ. Um, again, spiritual gifts, they go with this particular ministry gift. There's, there's no... Evidence in scripture that says this particular spiritual gift is linked to the ministry gift of the teacher. And just as the pastor can be um, used of the Holy Spirit in whichever spiritual gift he chooses to impart to that pastor, so the teacher can also be used of the Holy Spirit in whichever spiritual gift the Holy Spirit deems necessary that he uh, use through his ministry. But there's no... Again, we can't tie it down like we can those first three giftings of the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist. There the scriptures plain as to which ministry gifts, uh, which spiritual gifts go with those ministries. But with regards to the pastor and the teacher, there's no scriptural evidence that says these spiritual gifts form part of the ministry gift of the pastor and the teacher. Um, and so it, it, it's up to the individual as to what spiritual gift they receive from the Holy Spirit so that they can minister the things of God. But, yeah, that's a, the, the ministry gift of the teacher, again, very pretty simple and straightforward from the point of view of it's not complicated. They're called to teach the Word of God. That's it. They're not called to do other things. Um, and so that's where they're going to excel in teaching the Word of God to the body of Christ. 
And it is, it's a blessing to sit under the ministry gift of a teacher because it just is so easy to follow after what they're teaching because, you know, it's just so simple. They do it in quite often in, in, in point form, point one, two, three, um, because that's the anointing. That's how the Lord has blessed them. And that brings us to the end of the ministry gifts. Um, in the next series of teachings, we want to touch on the spiritual gifts. We're going to go into the spiritual gifts, the nine gifts of the Spirit as listed for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But we're not going to do any more um, teaching on the five main ministry gifts. We've pretty, pretty much covered the main points of each one of those gifts. And we're going to end the series on that particular point today. Amen.